And whatever God does, that's what we allow Him to do. Amen. And so we appreciate the Lord. If you'll look with us for a few moments, Daniel chapter number 11 and verse number 21. The Bible says in, in verse number 21, And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain kingdoms by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown uh, from before him and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him shall he work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province, and he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his fathers' fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the kingdom of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him. Yea, they shall feed of the portion of his meat, shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. And both these kings' hearts shall be uh, to do mischief, and they shall speak lies to one uh, table, but it shall not prosper for yet the end shall be at the time appointed then shall he return into his land with great riches and his heart shall be against the holy covenant and he shall do exploits and return to his own land at the time appointed he shall return and uh, come toward the south but it shall not be as the former or as the latter for the, sh for the ships of Chittim shall come against him therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indig indignation against the holy covenant so shall he do he shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant and arms shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and they shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate and such do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits and they shall understand among the people shall, uh, and they that understand among the people shall instruct many yet they shall fall by the sword and by the flame and by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hopeless with a, a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Father, we want to thank you this morning for the word of God. We want to thank you for the good singing and the worship that we've experienced in this place and for the offering that has been received. Thank you for the sacrificial giving of your people. And I pray, God, that you'll bless them fourfold. Help us now these next few moments. Lord, I pray that you'll give us that special touch and anointing that we so desperately need. And God, for what you do, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. I want to take just a few moments this morning very briefly and just give an overview of what these verses that not only that we have read but the verses leading up to them. A time would not allow us to talk about all the context uh, surrounding this text this morning. 
But when you come to chapter number 11, we read some of the early verses last week and we preached about Alexander the Great as the Bible talks about in verse number 1 and 2 and 3, the end of the Persian Empire begins uh, the beginning of the Grecian Empire. And Alexander the Great uh, took the throne in such a swift manner, uh, ruling for 12 years and 8 months and then dying in the prime of his life at 32 years of age, going to hell uh, with his eyes wide open. And the Bible says, talking about this mighty king in verse number 3, that shall stand up and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. But when he shall stand up, notice the Bible says that his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided to the four winds of heaven. And that's exactly what happened when Alexander uh, the Great had conquered the worlds. He sat down and he wept because there was nowhere else to conquer, proving uh, that the things of this world, the pleasures and the prestige and the popularity and all the power that the world can offer cannot satisfy the heart of man. But Alexander died at such a youthful age uh, and then his kingdom was divided into four parts. Uh, one, one general took the European uh, uh, pa- uh, par- uh, partition. Uh, another general took the eastern part uh, and took the Asia minor, minor area. Another one took Babylon and Syria that is named in this text here uh, that we know him to be a king of the north. And then another one took Egypt and northern Africa which is known as the king of the south. And the reason uh, that we mention them is because from verse number 4 to the text that we have read in verse number 21 is that there's a 20 year period. Now we'll not deal with verses 4 through 21 but you can read them when you go home. But it is a constant battle between the king of the north and the king of the south. It is a battle between the king of Syria and the king of Egypt. And the king of Egypt in verse number 5 and 6 simply goes in and gives his daughter, uh, my friend, the king of the south, he gives his daughter of the south uh, as a uh, as a peace offering to try to build some kind of alliance uh, uh, with the king of the north uh, and then goes in and defeats uh, uh, the king of the north uh, and takes his treasures back to Egypt. Well, that just sparks another battle because he comes in and he fights against Egypt and the Bible says in verse number 13 uh, with all of her fences uh, and with all of her fortress, uh, she cannot withstand. She also loses the battle and the king of Syria takes Egypt and then sends in his daughter and the Bible says corrupts her as well and tries to destroy the kingdom not only from without but from within. You say preacher what's that all, all that got to do with us uh, and with the nation of Israel? Well let me put it in perspective here. Here the angel Gabriel is giving this uh, uh, dialogue to Daniel. He is giving Daniel this prophecy and what makes this scripture so great this morning is that chapter number 11 not only proves the accuracy of the Bible but it proves the accuracy of Bible prophecy. Amen. For do you realize you could take a history book this morning and lay it down next to your King James Bible and read through that history book and read through chapter number 11 and everything that God said to Daniel in detail has come to pass uh, or it will come to pass uh, uh, very, very soon. Uh, So when we think about that this morning, uh, uh, what we're thinking about is that in chapter number 11, you've got a world that is in turmoil. There's a world that's in turmoil historically. We can read about it. And all this is doing, it is setting the stage uh, uh, for what's going to happen to Israel in the last days during the tribulation period. This little horn uh, 
that the Bible talks about in our text is none other than Antiochus Epiphanes. If you go back to chapter number 8, he is mentioned. There's a little horn in chapter 7. He's the Antichrist. There's another little horn in chapter 8. It's Antiochus Epiphanes. Why does the Bible highlight this Grecian emperor? Why does the Bible exalt him and lift him up so much? For he is a foreshadow and he is a type of the Antichrist that is to come, friend. I'm preaching this morning for a few moments on this subject on a world that's in turmoil. A world that is in turmoil. You see this morning what God does in chapter 11 is he tells Daniel every bit of this uh, and it's prophetic. It is prophecy from where Daniel stands. Where you and I stand this morning, part of it is history and the other part is prophecy. What I'm dealing with this morning is more historical to us uh, even though it was prophetic to Daniel and it was to tell Daniel uh, what would happen to his people. But it is to show the church uh, that what God says uh, will come to pass. Amen. Friend, there's two things you ought to mark down this morning and you ought to remember that chapter 11 proves. Uh, number one, it proves uh, that no matter who is king, uh, it doesn't matter who wins the battle, it doesn't matter who the ruler of the world is, uh, you mark this down, God has always been in charge uh, and God is always in charge. You see, even though the world was in turmoil, heaven wasn't in turmoil this morning. And another thing you ought to remember and that I should remember this morning is that no matter what, God is going to have his way. Friend, this morning, when we think about the battles of chapter 11, we think about Egypt and Syria coming together and fighting and one defeating one and then another one defeating the other. When we think about all the conspiracy and the corruption of chapter 11, it's a reminder, my friend, that the world is constantly in turmoil, that there is no peace and there can be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. Amen. And when we come to our text this morning, it highlights this man who is known in chapter 8 as this little horn. He is the, uh, the, the emperor of the Grecian Empire, that third world empire that Nebuchadnezzar saw and that Daniel saw in another vision. And my friend, the Bible highlights him uh, for he is none other than a type uh, and a foreshadow of this one that is to come that the book of Revelation calls uh, the Antichrist. Now in verses 21 through 23, it talks about his craftiness. As the Bible said in the latter part of verse number 21, that he would attain the kingdom by flatteries. Amen. And then the Bible says in verse 23 that he would work deceitfully. Notice that. And then it says in the latter part of verse number 23 that he shall become strong. Notice this. Uh, with a small people. You know, that's why I don't like small groups. Amen. I read that and highlighted that and just wrote that right there beside my text that uh, God never has been uh, uh, in my friend someone uh, deceitfully uh, through craftiness pulling people aside. Uh, hey you and I have got to be careful in these last days uh, that number one we don't deceive ourselves uh, and number two we don't allow somebody else uh, to swoop in and deceive us. Amen. A lot of churches have been destroyed because of craftiness and deceit. There's always politicians, not just in Washington, but even in the church house. Did you know that? 
There's always people with some political agenda of their own rather than for the good of the people. Don't you be deceived by personality. Don't you be deceived by intellect. Don't you be deceived by some kind of impression that someone makes on you. I tell you, there's one thing that I'm glad God put in my heart a long time ago and I've never been unthankful for this. I appreciate it this morning. God, I remember the preachers of old preaching this. Friend, and that is you better stick with those that God has put in your pathway, that divine order that God has given you, that have helped you. You may not so much appreciate them right now, but there will come a time in your life as you look back, there will be a greater appreciation for them then than what there is in the present day. You see, oftentimes we forget that, but it's craftiness. And then his conquest in verse number 24, the Bible says that he shall do what his fathers and his fathers' fathers has not done and he shall forecast his devices against strongholds even for a time. And so as Antiochus went forth, he conquered those that was in his path. So it will be with the Antichrist. He will conquer those that will get in his pathway. And then the Bible talks about his confrontation in verses 25 through 30, both with Egypt and with Israel. He will destroy Antiochus, destroyed Egypt, but then he turned uh, and he did much damage to the people of God. He broke the covenant with them. Uh, my friend, he built an altar over their altar uh, there in the temple and he boiled swine flesh uh, and he poured it over that altar and desecrated that altar and he praised the God of Zena Zeus. Uh, and my friend, listen, he desecrated the house of God. You mark it down. The devil's always got one tactic and that is to defend file that which is holy. Amen. Now I think a preacher and a church ought to be unified in keeping my church holy. Can I get an amen? How we do that is we keep the right book in this place. Amen. You defile the house of God when you start preaching out the wrong book. You defile the house of God when you start having the wrong type of singing. Somebody say amen. Our music shouldn't sound like a honky-tonk. It ought not sound like a rock concert. It ought not sound like something, my friend, that appeals to the flesh. It ought to tap into the spirit. Somebody say amen. It ought to have the right doctrine. It ought to have the right belief in it. And hey, if it gets in your feet before it gets in your heart, you ought to throw it out the window. Somebody say amen. I like good music, amen. And I like singing. I don't think we all got to wear our hat bagpipes and organs every service. And I'm not against them neither, amen. They're in that book. I don't think singing ought to be dead, but it ought to be decent. Somebody say amen. It ought to be holy. And there's sometimes I may hear a song and I may say to one of the singers, don't sing that. It doesn't necessarily even mean that song is wrong. But it's not just a song that you would worship on. You say, preacher, what are you doing? I'm just doing the best I can. And you need to help me do the best you can to keep the house of God as holy as we can keep it. Amen. Now, don't, now hold your breath. That means you got to dress right too. Amen. We don't show flesh in the house of God. Can I get an amen? 
Brother, I'm telling you, that means when we come to church, uh, we ought to be decent. Now, if you invite a lost person to come, you let them come. You let them be dressed any way that they are. You just, We just want them to come. Amen. We want them to hear the gospel and be saved. And when they get saved, uh, we're not going to run up to them and start measuring their hairline and their hemline. We're going to give them some time to grow, just like somebody gave us time to grow. And we're going to be patient. We're going to be prayerful. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something. When they've been saved for six or seven or eight years, uh, they ought to know how to dress in the house of God uh, if they got the Holy Spirit in them and we're doing our part and we're keeping things things decent and in order, I think they'll see that and they'll learn from it. Can I get an amen? But our churches uh, have become so defiled uh, the sanctuaries uh, have been desecrated uh, because we've let the deceitfulness and the craftiness uh, uh, my friend of the devil himself uh, the same spirit that was on Antiochus uh, is the same spirit, my friend, that has come into a lot of our churches. And so the Bible highlights this man. And throughout time, he killed 40,000 Jews, enslaved 40,000 of them. And in the spring of a time of 168 B.C., the Bible says in verse number 31 that he polluted the sanctuary. He took away the daily sacrifices and he shall place abomination that maketh desolate. Three times in our text this morning, you'll notice it in verse 27, 29, and verse 35, we'll find the phrase, it is yet for a time appointed. God reminds us in the midst of a world that's in turmoil, amongst the betrayal and the battles that takes place, he reminds us in this text, as he reminded Daniel that what will happen and what will take place is on God's divine calendar. It is God's divine appointment. All the troubles and the trials and the deaths and the casualties that are woven throughout chapter number 11, though it took men by surprise who thought they could not be defeated, it never took God by surprise. And you say, preacher, why? Is the, was the world in such turmoil? Why did God give us chapter 11? Why did he give Daniel this last vision? I'll give you these three things this morning and I'll be through. As to the reason why we find a world in turmoil in chapter number 11. I say number one, we see it because of the rebellion of saints this morning. You see, the whole reason that everything took place was because the people of God had turned away from God. They quit listening to the prophets. They quit listening to the preacher. Hey, listen to me this morning as I make that statement because it's very important for where you and I are living at today. The reason all the casualties, the reason the cause of all the deaths uh, was because the people of God had became so apathetic, they became so complacent that they thought that what they had was would always be there and God sent warning after warning after warning but they refused uh, they didn't openly rebel with their fists in the face of God but they just simply rebelled by not doing what God had said but not moving up closer by not obeying the Lord and the end result of that my friend uh, was that God uh, turned them over uh, to the Babylonians uh, they went into captivity and my friend there was chastisement throughout their days uh, not because of sinners, but because of the rebellion of saints. I want to tell you this morning, I think that God is more upset 
with the sinfulness of saints than what he is the sinfulness of sinners. If you want to know what makes God sick, it's not homosexuality. It's not child molestation. It's not all the perversion and all the corruption. Oh, God's angry with the wicked every day, but a shocking reality that should shock every one of us. What God said makes him want to spew out of his mouth is the lukewarmness of saints. God said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be on fire for me or I'd rather you be a heathen, a pagan that would not accept me and would turn against me. But God said, if there's anything that turns my stomach, it's when you put the religious mask on and you come in as if everything is okay. When you know that everything is not okay, that when you sing the songs and you preach the sermon, but you don't live any different. You just live like you want to live. You just do what you want to do. That's where Israel was at. They were fasting. And in Isaiah, God said, that's not the fast that I've chosen. Is not this the fast which I've chosen? In Isaiah 58, and God lays out the fast. Israel was praying. They were fasting. They were going through the rituals of what they had been taught and what they knew to be right, the traditions. And they were good traditions. But the problem was their heart was not in what they were doing. They were just doing it because it was expected. And they were just doing it to ease their conscience they was worshiping one way but their life was going another direction does that not sound like a lot of our churches today and a lot of people today hey friend listen living for God it's not just Sunday morning Sunday night and Wednesday night it's 365 days a year amen you say preacher that's tight that's that book this morning God sent a world in turmoil The Bible said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But he said, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. What could Israel expect when they stopped listening to God? I want to say something this morning. Husband, wife, what can you expect when you start looking at pornography? What can you expect when you start flirting with someone of the opposite sex at work, you start sitting around the break table and having a daily conversation. And I'm going to tell you what you can expect. The same thing Israel could expect, and that's a world of turmoil. Can I tell you something? When people sin, their life don't get better. It's worse. You know what the devil wants us to think? Young people get a hold of this. The devil wants you to think the rebel living out there, living in sea, and they want you to think the young person that leaves the youth group and goes out and has the freedom and liberty to do whatever they want to do is really enjoying life. That's a lie. They're not enjoying life. If they're saved, they're more miserable than they've ever been. If they're saved, listen, there's a longing in their soul that all the things of this world can never satisfy. Freedom is not when you break through the fence and you can go live as you please and do as you will. Freedom is when you can live in safety and you don't have to worry about the hounds of hell and the, and the serpents of sin coming in your doorstep. Freedom is when somebody has put some barriers up around, whether it be your parent or whether it be your man of God or whether it be that book that's laid down some barriers and and said, hey, this is the way that we must go. Friend, that's freedom, amen. And I challenge you this morning, you go to any church that'll cut it right and believe it right and do right, guess what you'll find? Freedom. 
Brother, I'm going to tell you something. You want to go to a church where you can worship God and shout and praise God and enjoy the goodness of God, you're going to have to find a church where people's living holy. Amen. You have to find a church where people's practicing this book. Freedom's not in this fleshly type of worship that says live as you please, do as you will, go to the house of God and shout it out. There's a lot of people that want the glory, but they don't want the godliness. And you know what the end result of that is? Glory with, with no godliness equals a lot of racket that is not real. It is fleshly. It is fake. It is foolish. I'm going to tell you something, friend. You get around some old-time gray-haired saints of God that's walked with God down through the years and has prayed heaven down and has Live for God, you'll feel the breeze of heaven come by. And friend, it's not fake. You don't got to pop them. You don't got to prime them. There's something living on the inside. The reason this world is so much in turmoil is because the salt of the earth has lost its savor in these last days. Friend, we need some salty Christians is what we need to get the job done. I want to say a world in turmoil because of the rebellion of saints and then a world in turmoil because of the rule of sinners. You know why this world's in such trouble in chapter 11? Simply because the wicked are ruling. Friend, when the people of God no longer listen to the prophets and the preachers, the wicked begin to rule. And when the wicked rule, trouble comes. You see, we can sit around and we can fuss and we can argue and we can complain about the, the course of our country and I thank God for the mercy and the grace he has shown us is that not right Amen. brother I'm going to tell you why America is not in, wor- is not in, in as worse shape as she was a, year, a couple of years ago it's because God heard the prayers of his people people finally woke up just a little bit their eyes got woken up and they realized that hey Man, we're headed, we're headed off a cliff that there's no coming back to. And I really believe people started praying. I'm not saying Donald Trump is the answer. I'm saying Jesus is the answer. I'm saying the people of God and their prayers is the answer. I'm saying that God sets men up and he sets them down and God's in control time and time again. I'm saying that God looked down from heaven on election day and saw some people praying for this nation that hadn't been at a knee and cried a prayer in a long, long time and God in mercy one more time said okay I'll give you the lesser of the two evil so that you can have a space of grace but the real question is what are we going to do with it if we just carry on in our sin if we carry on in our apathy if we soon carry on in our complacency there is coming a time when the wheels of God's judgment are going to continue to grind and there's no stopping them friends can I just say this this morning I preach harder here than I do in church. And I do that because I pastor here. I'm not them other people's pastor. But I want to tell you this morning, folks, and I tell you this because I love you. But I'm telling you, it scares me to death as your pastor. When you go in and out and you see all these different churches and the condition they're in, and they're fading faster than I could ever ever try to tell you when you think about it and you walk back in these doors sometimes I just want to get down and kiss the carpet we're nobody special Dr. Ellis you see the same thing I just want to thank God we still got a place where people do shout in the choir where people do raise their hand 
I want to thank God we still, and I'm not bragging on the church. I'm telling you this morning, I want to thank God we got a place where some young, uh, young people do sit up front. And they do look like they're dressed for church this morning. I'm telling you, I don't want you to go nowhere else, but I'm telling you, you wouldn't have to go too far real long to realize how good we've got it here, how many preachers have come through this pulpit and said it time and time and time again. But can I stop and say this? I see some of you moms and dads, you just make excuses sometimes as to why you miss church and you let your children miss church for the, for the, for the smallest reasons. You better hear me and hear me well because I love you enough to tell you the truth you are going to wake up one of these days and what you have said in love for so long it will be gone friend and there ain't no getting it back when it's gone it's gone it's done you might as well put a for sale sign in the front yard you can play church so you're old and gray headed and I'm telling you you never will get back what you had I'm not fussing I'm just preaching this morning so preacher, what I need to do, you need to teach your children the same thing that your parents taught you. That is, you don't miss church for nothing. Can I get an amen? You go Sunday morning, Sunday night, every night of revival, and you don't sell Tupperware or whatever it is you do, amen, when you got revival. You say, what do you do? You get a calendar in the foyer, you mark it down, you highlight it, you say, I am not doing anything that week, but I'm going to revival. And children, we're going to the house of God. And you pray from now to whenever that meeting is scheduled and you pray for revival and you teach them to be faithful to the house of God. I had a man in his church come to one day and he said, now preacher, and I'm not okay and stuff like this. Gets me in trouble. But it's a double standard. He said, Preacher, he said, Now, I, we're going to miss a couple nights of revival. I said, Why? Well, because our kids are playing ball. And I taught them that when you start something, you finish it. I said, That's right. And they started church before they started ball. Amen and amen and amen. I don't know what's wrong with some parents today. Kid gets a runny nose and seven of them stay home. I'm just preaching. It's 12, 15. I'm feeling better the later it gets. Man, I'm telling you, let them lay out a church for any little, listen, wipe their nose and bring them to church. Well, you know, I got to slip out because Johnny has to go to bed at 9 o'clock. No, 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 no. You tell Johnny he's got bedtime every night but revival. Somebody say amen. How's he ever going to know to pray the night through if he don't go to revival when it's past his bedtime? Somebody say amen. That's a lily-livered day that we're living in when we got so many compromising people sitting in good churches. Uh, I mean, that they just make excuses for everything. I'm telling you, drag them to church. Uh, if they fall asleep on a pew, I'd rather them go to sleep in a pew hearing a preaching of the Word of God as getting in on their bedtime. Uh, you say, well, they've got a, you know, they've got a routine. Yeah, that's right. You got to teach them routines got to get broken sometimes for spiritual reasons. Why, why are you preaching all this? Because I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be gone one day, friend. 
When these gray-haired saints are gone, if we don't pick the ball up and we don't get a better commitment to what we've got, it is going to be gone one day. I've been in churches just like ours. These, I, I could tell you a church this morning that was bigger than our church, gave more money to missions, had a choir twice the size of ours, and shouted every single service. And she's a hull this morning. And it didn't take 10 years, friend. It didn't take 30 days. And she's a hull this morning. You see, when you see things like that and you come back to your church, I'm telling you, it gives you a different perspective. This world is in turmoil, and I'm telling you, the devil would love none other than to destroy this church. What we got to have is some dedicated, committed, sold out, surrendered mamas and daddies that'll say, I'll raise them in the old time way. I'll teach them to be faithful to church. I'll teach them how to pray. Is that right this morning? I'll, te- I'll raise them in the house of God with what's right. Boy, how did I get on all that? But I sure am glad. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you glad we run that rabbit down? Aren't you glad it's 20 after 12 and you're still sitting in church this morning? Hallelujah. I got five more minutes of preaching. I think you can handle that. Then I will say this in closing. Why was this world in turmoil? Because of the rebellion of saints, the rule of sinners, and then the rebuke of the sovereign. I read this chapter and I thought, man, this is terrible. You go home and you read it. You look at what Antiochus did. God allowed him to go in and desecrate that temple. He stopped their worship, built an altar over their altar, boiled the flesh of swine, poured it on that altar, in honor to the false god of Zeus. And God let every bit of that happen. You know why that is? Because when his people won't listen, God is going to get their attention no matter how long it takes and no matter what he has to do. Brother, when he gave Daniel this prophecy, it was hundreds of years later when it was fulfilled. The Medo-Persians, they were in rule for 200 years. Greece was in rule for 180 years. The Roman Empire ruled 500 years longer than the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, and the Greece Empire combined. They ruled 500. That's why that image, the legs, that's the strongest part of a man's body. And those legs were made out of iron, and the legs were longer than any other part of that image. You know why? Because the, the, the Romans ruled longer. God's people suffered literally. Think about, think about this this morning. Think about this. God's people suffered for decades on top of decades on top of decades. They suffered for centuries because of one generation that became apathetic. You see this morning, if I love my children, my grandchildren, and even the children's children that I've never seen, I ought to love them enough to do what's right and live right. Don't let apathy get in your heart. I'm going to tell you, apathy is as bad as alcohol. It's as wicked this morning as pornography or adultery or anything. And you know why that is? Because it separates us from God every bit as much as those sins do. We can have the outside just right. 
But I'll tell you what God's are looking for this morning in this church. It's how many of us have got a yearning and a burning on the inside to be more for God today than what we were yesterday. How many of us this morning are so committed to Christ that we're willing to do whatever it takes to please Him? That's what we got to have. That's what we need this morning. Pretty singing, good crowd, nice building, and a fancy sermon. We'll not get the job done. God wants us on this altar this morning. Serious. Serious. I wonder this morning as we stand, our world's in turmoil, but we're the hope this morning. We're the hope. We're the light of this world. We're the salt of this earth. I tell you, I believe all my heart what pleases God is not our talents, not our ability, and not even our sacrifice. But it's our obedience. It's when we get on an altar and say, Oh God, I can't do anything, but I yield. And Lord, you do through me what I can't do myself. While Brother David sings, if you need to come, would you?